Hello, my name is Jeff Harker, and welcome to my Building Thinking Classrooms takeover of the Homegrown Podcast from KeepIndianaLearning.org. I'm taking over the entire month of May with my four-part series covering the four toolkits in the Building Thinking Classrooms framework by author Peter Lilliadal. Join me as I talk with teachers, administrators, and the author himself about how to create your own thinking classroom. Trying to fit in professional learning in the summer is tough when you're a teacher. That's why Keep Indiana Learning created the virtually different Summer Conference. Join us virtually for two amazing days, June 13th and 14th, from anywhere. Keynote speakers include Jennifer Gonzalez from Cult of Pedagogy, Justin, Mr. Fascinate Schaefer, dubbed Gen Z's Bill Nye the Science Guy, Ken Williams, author of Radical Equity, and Sarah Brown, author of Effective Universal Instruction, all for just $35. Join us live for these two amazing days of all virtual sessions and watch any recorded session for up to a full year. Learn more and register at keepindianalearning.org slash summer conference. I want to welcome our guests, Amanda Ray and Mandy Ramey, to our second episode here uh, at Keep Indiana Learning, uh, Building Thinking Classrooms. We're looking at toolkit number two. And my name is Jeff Harker, and I want to just have you introduce yourselves, ladies, and tell us just a little blurb about how you came to this building thinking classrooms world. Well, I'm Amanda Ray. This is my 20th year teaching fifth grade math. And how I came to the building thinking classrooms world uh, was when uh, the summer attending IMLA, and we were talking about all the, the different mathematical practices and student discourse really stood out to me. How much are my kids talking about math? And that was a really, I don't know, a big eye opener for me. They weren't really talking a whole bunch. It was mainly me uh, talking about math and doing, showing them all the math. And so uh, it was mentioned during our, our conference time to join, to look into building thinking classrooms, to join those Facebook and Twitter groups. And I did, and I was seeing so many amazing, um, I don't know, examples of, of teachers and what the students were doing in those classrooms that it just, it made me want to, to read the book and, and get into it. Um, this is a, Mandy Ramey, and I have been teaching fifth grade uh, for the last 13 years. Um, the way I came into building thinking classrooms um, was I was really bored with teaching math. I didn't, I knew it wasn't going the way I, it was supposed to, and I needed the kids to be doing more, and I was doing too much of the work, um, which meant I was doing more of the, the learning and the thinking. And so then when I ended up at IMLA with Amanda and they talked about the book and I think we came back over the summer to meet and she had started looking at the book and following the Facebook groups and sharing, I was like, well, I'm on board with whatever you are doing. And I think it just kind of grew from there. Thank you, I love that. Um, the, 
really the getting into the social media, this is all over the place. Building thinking classrooms is everywhere. So if you're thinking about getting started, that may be one place to get started is look on social media, look on Facebook, look on Twitter, see what other people are doing. Um, and I was reminded, Mandy, of a quote by Alice Keeler that says, whoever's doing the work is doing the learning. Your, your um, pathway to building thinking classrooms kind of spoke to me in that way. Um, that whoever's doing the work is doing the learning. And you felt, if I heard you right, you felt like you were doing a lot of the work. Yeah, I remember I, uh, when I first came to Franklin, I had one of the, I was, you know, reaching out to the instructional coach because I always love learning and always love uh, getting better um, at teaching. And at the end of it, she made a remark like, wow, like, you know, you must be exhausted. Like you worked really hard. And I thought that was a compliment at first. Um, and she was like, you know, at the end of the lesson, like if, if you are more exhausted than the kids are, you've done too much. And so we need to get them doing more. And that has, um, ever since I came to Franklin eight years ago, that has really stuck out to me is why am I the more exhausted one? They should be doing more of the work, you know? So, um, and I think you've said that quote to me before too. Um, so that's kind of, it, it keeps coming back to me. That is some good coaching there. Um, well, we're talking today about toolkit number two. And some of the highlights of toolkit number two include defronting the classroom, answering only keep thinking questions. And we'll talk just briefly about that as well. Um, giving tasks early, standing and verbally, and why that's important. Give checking your understanding questions. Check your understanding questions and what they are um, can really enhance the learning process for you and the student. And we will finish up with talking about what really does it mean to mobilize knowledge. That's one of those hallmarks of toolkit number two here. Um, so let's start with a little bit about defronting and what that means and and if you can, uh, would one of you please speak to how you defront the classroom in your room? Because this is one of those that I've, as I've traveled around and talked to a lot of different teachers, each teacher kind of handles a little differently. So first, what is defronting class, the classroom and how does that play out in your classroom? So in my classroom, um, and I, I feel like defronting the classroom just means that the learning is going to be taking place all, all across the room. Like we're not, I'm not standing up in front showing students how to, to do math. They're not watching me and mimicking me. They, the learning is taking place around the room. And so um, the way I think just in general, our rooms are set up, they are automatically defronted. We've got a projector screen on one wall, the chalkboard's on a different wall, and then we've got our um, boards all around, you know, the wall, the other walls, and uh, next to um, the projector. And so it's it's all around the room, and during the lesson, we are moving when we are consolidating or trying to point out um, interesting work by groups we're moving and um, to different places. It's not everybody stand and look at me 
upfront while I'm at a chalkboard working out the work. Well, I also think it means too, like what you're saying is even if you couldn't move your desk in your classroom, and if there was only one way your projector could go, if you think of it more as when the learning is happening, it is around the room, the teacher is moving, the kids are up and they are working. Like even if you couldn't naturally change things in your room, you can still defront your classroom. And in toolkit number one, uh, you know, when we talk about using those vertical surfaces that you uh, are using in your classroom and you talk about the learning being around the room, it almost seems like a natural consequence to defront, to not stand up in front because just like in a circle that there's no real corner or side to a circle, there's no longer any front to the classroom. Yeah, and it's um, the students are looking when they're doing their work and we're um, that they're in their groups. They're looking around the room. They're not looking. They're not looking at me. They're looking at other boards. They're looking at the other groups. They're, they're trying to, to, to see what's going on. It's not that they're just simply tracking me or we're looking for knowledge or, you know, the you're doing this right type of thing. They're they're. They're focused on the work and it's all around the room. Well, and Amanda and I are not only math teachers, but we're social studies teachers as well. And so like nothing changes from when we move from a math teaching to social studies teaching. Um, I mean, the way our classroom works, I mean, it, it's still able to teach any subject, not just math with building thinking classrooms. Have you changed or felt like you had to change your desk arrangement in any way? I think, I think a lot of the building thinking classrooms concepts, I, I was doing in a way or I wanted to do, and I didn't realize, you know, like I, I wanted this to happen. I wanted the learning to happen. I wanted the group work and the discussion and the student discourse to happen. I just didn't know how to implement it. And building thinking classrooms gave me a an entry point. Okay, try this, and this is how you can implement it. So I've always had students in these groups, these small groups, and and kind of um, moved around, not necessarily all facing the chalkboard or all facing the projector. So I think it's just been something that I've, I've wanted and just didn't know how to, to do it. So it was kind of already done for, for me in my classroom, how I wanted my room to be set up. When you were talking about, um, you know, just when you're giving the directions verbally, like just don't stand at like what would be the front, stand somewhere else. Um, and it, it just kind of, it, it changes things. It, it changes what the kids are expecting um, from a general classroom. And you both mentioned that you wanted the learning to be around the classroom. And so that kind of takes us into that next topic of changing the way we answer questions, ask questions, this whole questioning process. Um, I know Peter in his book talks about answering only key thinking questions. Have you been able to change or needed or felt the need to change how you answer questions, the number of questions you're answering, how you're asking questions. Can you speak a little bit to that process and how that's evolved in your rooms? 
Yeah. Um, I mean, I really have had to, I mean, I feel like I am ongoing um, in changing and learning as I'm doing this. So I'm not perfect at it yet. Um, but I keep trying to answer less. And um, as I've changed these small little things this year, I feel like I've really seen a confidence boost in the kids because they have had to, you know, they, they are asking me less and less, um, am I right? And instead, because of the questions I've asked them, or like when I get there, I'm like, you're proving to me, like, hey, look at this, look at what I just did. Um, and so it, it is, it's been, um, you know, work on both sides from the students and myself. And, and I agree, um, my, what I've tried to do or keep in mind as I'm, as I'm approaching groups to approach with a question. So I approach saying, so what's going on? What's happening here? And they just automatically start going into the discussion. And then also as I'm leaving, trying to leave with a question, well, I wonder what would happen if you used a different number or would this always work with every even number or you know something so that i'm approaching with a question i'm leaving with a question and so that in between there is that they are the ones they're doing the answering it's not like like what mandy said they're not saying am i right they're they're waiting to hear me ask the question for them to explain as opposed to just saying yes or no. Or they're coming up with, I'm seeing more now, like, and here's another way we did it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, this proves this, you know, look at this way, I, I've tried it this way, we did it this way. Um, and so it's, it's just, it really has changed a lot about our classrooms. And it sounds like that's working really well for you. And your kids are very much um, into that routine. Thinking about, the teacher that's just starting out, um, because I have heard, you know, from teachers that say things like, well, I tried that and it totally flopped and I'm not doing that anymore. So what would you say to the teachers um, in that situation? Because I'm guessing it wasn't that perfect the first time you stopped answering someone's question. No, and even in different topics, <laughs> it gets to be pretty tough and I have to like continually remind myself watch your questions watch your questions like when we were doing division we just finished division and I am watching you know the initial work the productive struggle and they are making so many tally marks and dots and circles as they're trying to divide these big numbers and I want to just be like why don't you just put them in groups of 10 or 100 or why not 20? I, I just, it's so tempting. And I think um, knowing, having an idea of what's going to be like the trap. So when I'm going to go around to boards, what am I going to want to rescue them from? And what am I going to, what could they ask that I'm going to want to give them a quick answer to? Like, oh, we'll just do this. And instead, how can I, try to do that keep learning questions. Well, I also think we expect kids to fail and keep trying. And so I would say if there was a teacher that tried this out and it didn't work one day, what do you expect from our kids then? And so if you are trying to be the teacher 
you know, that is showing your kids it's okay to fail and try something new another day and keep at it, then I think you should lead by example. Working with teachers, I sometimes feel like we're just as bad at the kids at that. <laughs> that is so true. Remind me I said this. <laughs> it's recorded. Well. Um, with that, and you you spoke about putting that learning back on the student and not not trying to, um, I'm paraphrasing here, but not trying to steal their thinking from them. Um, one of the other points in this toolkit is the check your understanding questions. Um, can you tell me how has how have those kind of questions or that strategy of using check your understanding questions played into this role of getting the kids thinking more, um, getting more feedback from the kids? How has it helped you as the teacher? Well, in the book, he talks about how these check your understanding questions should be what the students, the students are using it. Like it's for them to identify what they need to keep working on, where they're, where they're getting stuck. And so trying to take that emphasis off of do these problems um, for me, um, because I want them. It's more of I'm for the student. I want them to feel like I, I'm doing these problems because I want to see how well I have picked up on this concept and what else do I need to work on. And so uh, just this week we were, um, I had them go back to their seats after their boards and I said, okay, here's, here are some problems. Pick a few. Let's check your understanding and um, I'll, I'll put up the answers here in a minute. And one of my girls after about five minutes, she was like, oh, I can't, I can't take it any longer. Like, I need to know, I got to see the answer. Like, I, I think I've got it, you know, and that's what I want. I want them to be using that check your understanding to, to monitor their own progress. And that helps me then, um, it shows a lot about where they're at, how comfortable they feel. Maybe if they aren't putting forth as good of an effort at the groups that they were in. Um, so it, it does, it does give, give me that feedback and then they're able to share with me after we look at that work or their check their understanding problems we're able to say what do we still need to look at where where are we still getting stuck what do we still need practice with that sounds a lot different than the traditional here's some instruction here's some you try it problems and now here's some homework so that I, the teacher, can see if you know how to do this or not. Yeah, and that's what I, I think the biggest thing that I, the biggest takeaway I got from from reading the book about the check your understanding questions, it has to be more student driven. It has to be what for them because it is their learning. They're the ones that that have to own that learning, and it can't be because I'm in like forcing them to do that. And and that it has been a struggle to break myself of that habit. Because I would, you know, go around and check and be like, oh, you need to get like two more done. I really try to leave it open as far as try a couple, try a few. I don't, I don't put a number on it. But as far as like discussion, and the more that I've done that, the more involved the students have been as far as sharing their work and sharing their answers and then asking for clarif clarification on, on problems that they're having. 
Well, I think also what I love about building thinking classrooms too is for somebody that's trying it out, giving the micro moves. Oh yeah. And and one of the micro moves that really stuck out was giving them the answer. Like if I if I really believe that I care more about the work, then why why not give them the answer so it takes the pressure off? Because that's what they're worried about. Did I get the right answer? So if I give them the right answer, they will worry more about the work. And and that's what I was looking for anyways. And I love that idea, Mandy, because um, it, I have thought for years, I don't need to help you with what you know. And so I've always given the answers in my class with the homework because the homework I always saw as like a sorting tool, sorts out what they know from what they don't know. I don't need to help you with what you know. I need to help you with what you don't know. Yeah. And so you sort it out. And again, putting that learning back on the students to think through the process. How do I know I know this? And I um, think also these check your understanding questions help with, because I know um, at the beginning, it's kind of nerve wracking as far as like, what about behavior and are they going to be focused on the task? And, but it puts ownership on what that work is for, right? Like that's we're trying to get to this point. So there's some, there is a purpose for this work. And so if, if you know, those check your understanding questions um, for the students, show them, you know, it's, it's that ownership, it's that buy-in. I love that idea because I, I hear from teachers sometimes, well, that all sounds great, but my kids, <laughs> but my kids. So what, what advice kind of would you give to teachers who say, well, yeah, but I've got these kids. You just don't know my kids. Oh, my uh, God. Mandy has a great, I mean, a perfect example of this this year. Um, you know, at the beginning of the year, I, you know, we saw the different students and, um, you know, just information about them coming in. And one of the kids that I had coming in, it um, it noted that she had a behavior plan because of math. And I was like, well, cool. I'm not going to be her favorite, you know, teacher this year. Um, it said, you know, that she would shut down. And, and so, you know, naturally I thought challenge accepted. Um, and so as building thinking classrooms, um, like became a part of my everyday classroom, um, this student like realized, you know, that if she could just use whatever thinking she could bring to the table, like it built so much confidence for her. Um, and and it, it was just fantastic to see that, you know, she knew whatever work she was able to do was valued. Um, and and it, I just really love what it brought to our problem solving in the room. Like everybody felt like they could be a part of it. It wasn't only one kid, the kid that could get to the answer. So when you took away, you know, like that aspect of it, it was more about how many times we could try it, um, you know, and get to that, then it, it was a lot better that way. It sounds like building thinking classrooms then is in some part or maybe a big part just as much about access and equity. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, it really, um, it's, it's just a method. It's a structure to get that group work and cooperation. And uh, I use the, I, I saw online again, like 
Twitter or Facebook, um, somebody made the comment about it's like the three slices of Swiss cheese and you layer them together and the holes don't all line, align up. There's going to be part of the cheese that's going to catch that hole. And I think the kids feel that. They feel safe to try yeah. because they're like, somebody here is going to compliment what I struggle with. And then I can compliment what somebody else is struggling with. And um, it's and moving the groups constantly and, and the random grouping helps with that. Everybody's comfortable working together. And that was something I wasn't too yeah. keen on trying at the beginning of the year. I was like, okay, well, I'm going to do random groupings. Oop, but not that random. Like, let me, <laughs> let me flip those two. Those two kids can't work together. And then I was like, you know what? One day I just didn't, I didn't want to mess with changing it. And then they surprised me. So then the next day I was like, okay, I will just hit random on my groups again and let it be. And now the kids just kind of expect it to be random. Yeah. Like in, in it's, um, yeah, they're I, fine with working with anybody. Yeah, and I just would recommend try it. <laughs> you know, you'll be surprised. I think you, uh, anybody who's hesitant about starting, because you know my kids can't do this, give it a try. Um, and I think they'll surprise you with what they can do and what they want to do. I will say though, the random groupings thing—you can't just do once. Like I think it's a repeated thing for a week, so that they expect that it's you know if it's always random then, you know, it doesn't matter if you, if you give up on that too early um, because you're worried about, you know, one thing or another, like, I think that's something you should stick with a little bit longer just to prove to yourself, like, and to the kids, like, it's always going to be random. She's not going to, you know, make a little move here and not let these two people work together. I love hearing those kind of stories. <laughs> those stories of even, even the smallest success. I love hearing it. Um, one of the last topics in this toolkit that I want to hit on is uh, this idea of mobilizing knowledge. That was a new phrase for me, and I learned lots of new phrases as I read this book, um, thin slicing and defronting and lots of others. But mobilizing knowledge, I thought, well, I know what mobilizing means and I know what knowledge means, but that phrase I'm not familiar with in, in my circle of knowledge. So can you talk a little bit about what Peter means by mobilizing knowledge and maybe a little bit about how you've worked that into your classroom. So when I, um, I read the book and then I kind of go back through and look at different sections and the mobilizing knowledge part, I was like, you know, our fifth, my fifth graders just aren't doing this well. They are waiting for me to come to the board. Um, and so uh, at semester break, when, when second semester started this year, I took those first couple days and um, at the end of each chapter in the book, they have a couple of examples of tasks that you can give students that kind of focus on that skill. And so I took the um, nickels, dimes, and quarters task that he has um, at the end of the mobilizing um, knowledge chapter and I told the kids, I said, this is what we're working on. We're working on trying to get better at sharing this knowledge. There are people in here have knowledge about this. They have good ideas on how to solve this problem or set up the problem. Um, I think the, the key for this, though, is building that foundation that it's not about answers. Like it's not like running over to board and looking at, oh, it's the answer is seven twelfths and you just go write seven twelfths on your board. 
they knowing they know it's about the work and that they're going to have to explain the work and so trying to get them and we're still a work in progress on the mobilizing knowledge to be honest in my classroom to get them to go to another board look for patterns ideas things that they can um, jump off of or maybe that it might spark a thought for them to take back to their group um, that's something we, we still work on and still are working on, but it was something that I, I realized I definitely needed to be intentional about and try to encourage more. Well, I think so much of it is that we've encouraged kids for so long not to look at other people's yeah. work. And so, you know, there's like, oh, well, there's, I think initially I had some issues of like, oh, well, they're stealing our idea. And, you know, what might have been, I now I am encouraging kids like, why don't, if you're a little slow to start, why don't you go look at, send one person from your group and go take a look at their uh, their board and see if you can bring back anything to your group to get started. And that has that freedom to like look at each other and one, validate themselves or like, okay, I think we're on the right track. You know, she's looking for the work anyways. Like the answer, again, it's less about the answer and it's more about the, the work that they're producing. Um, you know, because when I walk around, I, I could care less necessarily about their answer. Like I am looking for what they've worked out and the other ways that they've showed it or shown it. And so, um, you know, I think that's the borrowing the ideas. You know, we have really tried to use that um, phrase is borrowing other groups ideas. And then I've tried to be intentional too. Um, I know, you know, you've come and, and watched my room and um, instructional coaches have come in and watched and some suggestions or tips um, that I've gotten that I really like is using that different color dry erase marker and making like a star or a number one or a number two on work so that then if I need if there seems to be um, a need for the entire group maybe to look at a board we can stop move over to one of those boards and it be like a group mobilizing knowledge moment as opposed to just individual groups working on their own. I love that. I love that. Thank you. Um, as we begin to wrap up today, in terms of teachers who are listening to this podcast and thinking, oh, I need to get that book, or maybe They've gotten the book, they've started reading, but they haven't really done anything in their classroom. Maybe they're thinking about next fall. What general advice would you give to teachers just starting out to build their own thinking classrooms? Don't wait. Like read a chapter, look at the micro moves and try them out. Read another chapter, look at, just start with those micro moves. Like if, if you can't move, um, you know, to the entire, um, you know, knowledge mobility, like look at just the tiny little tweaks and, and those little things have made huge changes to my classroom. I, it, it is unbelievable to me to think of where I started this year or I ended last year to where the, the learning is with the students that I have this year. Yeah, and I think it's important to try to find um, some support and um, colleagues that you can kind of bounce ideas off. I mean, I'm fortunate to have Mandy working in my PLC with me, and so we can kind of like share uh, ideas on lessons or thin slicing with problems and things. 
I know at the beginning of this year, I was like, I don't know how to do exponents for thin slicing. And she found something that she texted to me and she's like, maybe we could work on this. And so having somebody to kind of bounce ideas off. And if there's nobody in your building that's um, interested in starting this journey with you, reach out to us. (laughs) Well, or definitely that's the social media. Um, I know it sounds, it sounds like silly, but that's what my Facebook feed basically is now, is just this those building thinking classrooms groups. I just love reading what people are doing and the successes that they're seeing and then also the struggles that they're coming across. And then I automatically go to those comments and looking what other yes. people are saying and doing. It's encouraging and it makes me feel like, you know, I'm not alone in it. Um, but so that that's what I would recommend. That's what I was gonna say. Like, I mean, just hearing somebody else talk about it. Like, I, I do love that I have Amanda right down the hallway that I can go in and like, okay, what did you do for this? Um, but, you know, having social media and, and being able to, um, you know, look on Instagram and see what people are posting um, about building thinking classrooms. And then they don't even have to be in the same grade level. It's just like one idea will spark another. And I'm like, oh, I could use this on the fractions unit that we're getting ready to start. And, you know, it, it's just been, it's been great in that way that so many people have found this book. And speaking of getting ready to start, um, I'd like to finish up today with you sharing kind of what's next for you. It sounds like your journey has brought you a long way so far in a short period of time. What's next in the building thinking classrooms world for each of you? I think one of the things is um, definitely the task, like looking at how to um to create better tasks. Like I think, you know, I'm finding a lot of things, just making sure like I'm keeping it and then improving it for next year, um, you know, so that it's not, um, you know, using what my resource already has, but like tweaking that. Um, another thing that I was thinking about is just the the procedures, you know, there have been things that, you know, I've tried something and it didn't work out that way. And so I've had to tweak it. And so just really from the start, like having some procedures set in place after learning from some failures, uh, you know, that's, that's been um, one thing. What else do you have, Amanda? Well, I definitely, and I know you feel the same way, um, the grading aspect. Oh, yeah. Um, And that's kind of at the end of the book. And by the time, you know, I got to the end of the book, I was like, oh, I think this is as much as I can um, chew for this year. And I want to go through it, see what it's looking like. I want to see where my, um, as far as grading, when it pops up that things just don't match up or I'm not happy with um, that that grading piece um, so that next year I can kind of really start the year diving into that kind of the end of the book as far as grading goes and what that looks like in a building thinking classroom, what we prioritize, what we, what we're assessing, what we're wanting from students. So that's, that's kind of where I see going as well as building this community of colleagues that are using um, building thinking classrooms. And so for selfish reasons, just more support and more people to talk yeah. to and more people to bounce ideas off of, um, for sure, wanting to, to help um, others in our PLC kind of do that. Well, thank you so much, ladies. I want to thank you for your time today. 
uh, Mandy Ramey and Amanda Ray from Franklin Community. We appreciate you so much. Um, and thank you for offering to have people reach out to you if they have questions and, and be a mentor or a resource for someone. Um, I really appreciate your efforts. And thank you so much for joining us today uh, for this episode. Um, and we are looking forward to uh, next time with toolkit number three. Uh, our special guest will be Lam Nguyen. Um, and I hope you'll join us. Thanks again for joining our Homegrown podcast and we will see you all next time. Once again, my name is Jeff Harker, and you've been listening to the Building Thinking Classrooms takeover of the Homegrown Podcast from KeepIndianaLearning.org. Thank you for listening, and be sure to check out our website for past and future episodes, along with a host of other learning opportunities. Are you looking to shake up your classroom instructional practices and get your students really thinking? The Building Thinking Classrooms Conference is June 29 and 30th. Don't miss your chance to work alongside author Peter Lilyudal, along with Building Thinking Classrooms facilitators and other educators from across the country who are working to disrupt the traditional classroom environment and start making students into thinkers. Find out more at keepindianalearning.org slash btcc.